Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, and we'll be looking at uh, this morning at the verses 18 through 21. I've been asked, and this is the question I've been asked several times this week uh, by preachers and by uh, different people in the church, if, if uh, the question is, should we address the issue in a sermon today? Uh, should we get up here and talk about, should I address the coronavirus and the issues that's going on, obviously, all over our country right now? I know everybody in here knows about it, heard about it, talked about it, and here's my decision on it. I'm not going to preach about it. I'm not changing our routine. Um, what I want to do today is I, want, I don't want to preach about the coronavirus. I want to preach about Christ. Amen. Amen. I want to take your attention away from the coronavirus. And I want to set your mind upon the one who is greater than the coronavirus. I want to set your mind upon the, the one thing that remains the same in this world, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to set our minds upon the one constant, the one that will never change, the one that will be with us always, the, the place we all need to be looking right now. Is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. And the title Amen. of the sermon today that we're going to look at, and it's just the, the next in line of what we've been preaching, I titled the sermon, The Beauty of Christ. And I'll tell you why. I was reading it, and, I, and that's what I do when I study, is I just read over the passage and I kind of get the idea of what it's saying. And as I was reading these verses, verses 18 through 21, I just kept saying in my mind, that's just a beautiful picture of Christ. It's beautiful, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. And I know you may not say that a lot about Christ, but that's what was going on in my mind. That's just a beautiful picture of Christ. So I said that, I wrote it down, I typed it on my phone. I said that's the title of the sermon, The Beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to show everybody in here today how beautiful our Savior is. So let's stand together. I'm going to read the verses to you. I want to show you this in verses 18 through 21. Uh, this is not only in Matthew, but if you, if you want to check it later, it's in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. This is a quote that Matthew gives here, verses 18 through 21, and I want to read these to you, and maybe as you read it, I'll start in verse 17, but as you hear it, maybe you'll see the beauty of Christ. Verse 17, and that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. In his name shall the Gentiles trust. It's a beautiful passage, passage a beautiful picture of Christ. Uh, let's pray together, and then I'll show you today the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for portraits like this, not painted by man, but painted by the hand of the Father by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, painting a picture for us today of our Savior, the one we love, the one we follow, the one we trust in. And I thank God if we see Him the way He is, that our hearts will be comforted, that we will find the one we can trust in the midst of great chaos. So God, please, if you will, guide me, help me to show this beautiful picture of Christ. I want the people in the pews to see what I have seen this week in my studies. Please show them your son. And by showing them your son, maybe there will be people in here who are unbelievers who will believe today for the first time. And those who are having trouble, worried, and have great fear that by seeing Christ, their fears will be calm. So help us, God, here today as we do our best to study this passage. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can see it. In January 2009, at a busy metro station in Washington, D.C., you can imagine the crowds that they would have at a metro station in Washington, D.C., 
There was a man, and you see this a lot if you're in cities and then you're going through a metro station, a bus station, a train station. You'll see people playing instruments all over, all over the corners with the, the, the uh, uh, hat there that you can put money in. Well, this man was playing a violin at this busy metro station, and he played it for 45 minutes. Some of the most beautiful uh, uh, songs that you could ever play, playing on a violin. And at that time, for 45 minutes, they say over 200 people walked by him. 200 people walked by him in 45 minutes. And out of those 200 people, only six people stopped to listen. Six people stopped to listen to some of the most beautiful music that could ever be played. And this was a, a, a test that they were doing. Because this man who was playing the violin for 45 minutes was one of the greatest musicians in the world. He was a world-famous violinist, and he was playing a violin that cost upwards of $3 million. Two days earlier... He had played a sold-out concert in Boston where tickets cost over $100 a piece. One of the world's greatest musicians. And only six people stopped to listen. You say, Josh, what's the point in that story? And the point is, we often miss some of the most beautiful things in the world because we're just too busy to stop and pay attention. Yeah. There is beauty all around us. We know that. You can, you can go out in creation. And we did that just the other day with me and my kids. We took a break and said, no, we're, we're not going to be on our phones. We're not going to be on the TVs. We're not going to sit in our houses. We're turning off Netflix. We're turning off everything. And we're just going to go for a walk out in the, in the fresh air. And we're going to see the beauty of the world. Because a lot of times things like we're going through right now gives us a chance to calm down, to stop, and to say, hey, I've been going too fast. And I need to stop and notice some things. And, and that's what they did. They missed it. The, the beauty was right in front of them. Some of the most beautiful music that could ever be played on one of the greatest instruments that could ever be played. And people just walked right on by. They actually said that of those six people that stopped, most of them were children. That their parents had to drag them away. And say, no, 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 we don't have time for that. And the kids wanted to sit there. They, they knew the beauty of what was being played. And we're the same way. We miss beauty all around us, even if it smacks us in the face. And that's exactly what's going on right here. As they didn't stop and appreciate and see the beauty of this violinist, these Pharisees in this passage here today were missing the most beautiful thing in the world. And he was right there in front of them. It wasn't a violinist. It was the Son of God that they were missing. That's what's going on here. Jesus is right in front of these Pharisees. He's, he's not playing the violin, but you know what he's doing? He's performing some of the most... And I won't say some of the most, the most miraculous miracles in the, in the history of the world. Yes. He's doing some marvelous things. He's, I wrote down some of them that we studied. He's healing the blind. He's healing the deaf. He took a man's withered hand and made it straight and, and restored it like, just like the other one. I've got more. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He's calming the sea. He's healing the lepers. These are remarkable miracles right there in front of them. God in flesh, walking with them, talking with them, right in front of them. He's teaching, he's preaching, and what do they do? They don't walk by and ignore him. We've seen in this passage. Verse 14, if you want to look down at it. Here's what they said about him. The beauty of Christ right in front of them. And they say, and the Pharisees went out and they held counsel against him how they might destroy him. They didn't just ignore the beauty of Christ. They wanted to destroy Christ. And what they're saying here is, and, and you see in verse 24, they call him a blasphemer. They're out to kill him. Their, their conclusion is, 
He's not the Christ and he must die. That's what they're saying. That's rejection. That's ugly. The way they're treating Christ. And that's why in this passage, in Matthew, he gives us a picture of Christ in all of his beauty. Here's what they're missing. Here's what they're rejecting. In the midst of all this rejection and this hostility and this hatred, Matthew gives us, and this whole chapter 12 is full of rejection. It's full of hatred and hostility and some of the awfulest things that could ever be said about Jesus. But in the midst of it, Matthew says, let me show you how beautiful he is. Let me show you a beautiful picture of Christ. And it's not in Matthew's words. I'll say this. It's not even in Isaiah's words. These words that were written here are the Father's words about His Son. The Father saying, let me show you the beauty of my Son. Look what it says in verse 18. Behold my servant. The word servant there is not the, the typical Greek word for servant, which is doulos. This is the, the word servant means pos. And it's the word for son. It's the word for my closest and most cherished son. And God here is saying, behold my son. He's saying, draw your attention to my son. That word behold is saying, look at my son. Look with me at my son. Draw your attention to my son. May I have your attention so that you can see my son. Turn your eyes upon my son today. And that's where our eyes must go in this passage and in our dark time that we're living in the day. Our eyes must turn to Christ. Behold his son. That's my job as a preacher is not to point you to anything else but to the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold the Son. Turn your attention to Christ. If you see anything else today, I want you to see Christ. Don't walk by Him today and be indifferent to Him. Don't be hostile to Him. Don't turn away from Him. Turn your eyes to Jesus and see Him in all of His beauty. So that's the whole goal here today. That we'll see the beauty of Christ. But not just that we'll see the beauty of Christ, but that we'll see it doesn't matter what men say about Christ. It only matters what the Father says about Christ. And we'll see Him in all of His beauty and all of His glory. So let's look at it. I'm going to start in verse 18. I'm going to work down through verse 21. And I'm going to show you four C's. I compare it to this. And I don't know if I was going to say this or not, but if you go shopping for a diamond, and I obviously do that a lot, <laughs> I've only done it once, actually. And you go into a jewelry store, and you've got a jewel, jeweler back there. He'll come out, and he'll bring out these diamonds, and he puts them on a black uh, backdrop, and he, he puts the diamonds out there on these rings, and he, he has his little glass that he puts on his eye, and he's sitting there just, you know, kind of letting you zoom in on it. And, and, and he says there, and, and, and I know that I know these things. I, I don't use them a lot, but I know that when you're buying a diamond, you're looking for four C's. You're looking for, and if you any young guys who just want to buy a ring for your uh, girlfriend at some point, you need to know these things. He's looking for color and carrot and cut and clarity. That's the four C's of a diamond. And as you turn that diamond and you look at it and you're looking for those four C's, the cut, the clarity, the color, and, and the carrot, the more you turn, the more beautiful it is. So I want to take Jesus today in this passage and give you four C's to show you just how beautiful he is. And the more you turn and the more you look, the more beautiful he becomes. Amen. So let's look at these and behold the Son. Number one, I want to show you the beautiful choice of Christ. The beautiful choice. It says that in verse 18, and, and you guys can see it for yourself. Behold my Son, my servant. Uh, the word actually means the son-servant together. Behold my servant. 
whom I have chosen. You see that? Whom I have chosen. The Pharisees rejected Christ. They have decided He's not the Christ. They've decided that He's not their Messiah. He's not the one to come. And, and they're going to reject Him completely. They, they don't have anything to do with Him. He's not who we're looking for. But again, it doesn't matter what men say. It only matters what the Father says about the Son. And what does the Father say about the Son? Yes, He is the Chosen One. Yes, He is the Christ. Yes, He is the Messiah. It doesn't matter what you say. It only matters what the Father says. And the Father says He's the Chosen One. I want you to see this. In, the whole, in that verse 18, He says, Behold, my Son, whom I have chosen, my Beloved, and whom my, my soul is well pleased, I will put my Spirit upon Him. You see that? It's a personal pronoun. This is the Father speaking about His Son. And He says, He is my Chosen One. I have picked Him. I have chosen Him. I have elected Him. In eternity past, I had a plan of how I was going to save people, and I chose my Son to be the one to be the same. You may say he's not the one. The Father says he is the one. He's the chosen one. This is again the Father speaking about the Son. He is the chosen one. The hand-picked one. The selected one. He's the one I hand-picked to do the work that I called him to do. He's the chosen one. To not just do any work, but to do the greatest work that could ever be done. To bring hope to a lost and dying world. This is the one, my son. It wasn't angels that he chose. He could have, there's all kinds of angels in heaven. He could have went and chose any angel. You know, Gabriel, Michael, all, all these different angels. He could have said, I want you to go. I want you to go. But he didn't choose them. He didn't choose a king. He didn't choose a celebrity. He didn't choose a musician. He chose his own son to go and to save us. This is the Savior, the Messiah. And who is it? Let me move to the next thing that he says. It's not just the chosen one. He sent his beloved one. Yeah. Whom I have chosen. My beloved. <laughs> I love that phrase. Again, he didn't send an angel. He didn't send a king. He sent the one he loved the most. He sent his own son. Amen. The apple of his eye. That word beloved is the deepest and the richest and the highest and the truest of all loves. You can't go any higher than the beloved. And it's repeatedly said of Christ that in Ephesians 1.6, He's called the beloved. In Colossians 1.13, He's called my, my dear Son. This is repeated over and over and over that when the Father speaks about the Son, He speaks of Him in loving, the most loving language that you can. He's saying, you guys may hate Him, but I, I love Him to the max. This is a, a, how, a contrast of how the Pharisees are treating and how the, the Father loves Him. They say He's not the chosen one. The Father says He is. They hate Him and reject Him. And the Father says, I love Him. Amen. So He's the beloved one. And He gives them another phrase here. Just go down the list. He says He's my chosen one, my beloved one, my well-pleasing one. You see that? In whom my soul is well pleased. This is the father bragging about his son. You, see, you understand that? I love to brag about my sons. I love to brag about my daughters. You come and talk to me at any, any point, and you get, I have my old friends look up to me and say, How's your kids? I say, Hoo hoo, let me tell you. <laughs> and I just go down a list of all the things that, I, that, that they're doing, how great they are, how much I love them. And, and that's what the father's doing here. It's like he's doting over his own son. And he's saying here, in whom I'm well pleased, he's saying, the one that I am so proud of. Yeah. You may not be pleased with him, but I am. That's what he's saying. 
The Father is completely and totally, entirely pleased with His Son. Matthew 3 at the baptism before He has done anything. The voice from heaven said, This is my Son in whom I will please. Before He's done anything. Matthew 17 at the transfiguration. On the mountain, He's almost done all of His work. And the Father, the voice from heaven says, This is my Son in whom I will please. He dies on the cross and goes into the tomb. And the resurrection is God's approval that I am pleased with everything that he's done. Yeah. In every way, I am pleased with my son. In every facet of his life, in every movement, every moment, everything that he said, everything that he'd done, I am completely and totally pleased with my son. He said the right things. He thought the right things. He did the right things. He'd done the right miracles. He talked the right sermons. He preached and, and, and went into the synagogues. Everything that my son has done, I am well pleased with him. At his baptism, I'm pleased. Transfiguration, I'm pleased. The cross, I'm pleased. In his death, I'm pleased. In his resurrection, I'm pleased. In his ascension, I'm pleased. Everything that he does, in every single way I am pleased with my son there's nothing that I can find that's not pleasing about my son and you know what those words cannot be said about anybody else in the history of the world nobody else can it be said that we are entirely pleasing to the father at that point and that moment only can he look down and say I'm well pleased with him Amen. one last thing that he says He's the chosen one. He's the loved one. He's the well-pleasing one. And he's the empowered one. I want to show you a couple things here. Because it says, and I will put my spirit upon him. How did Jesus do what he did in the world? That's what you have to figure out. Jesus did a lot of miracles. Those are undeniable. Atheists can't deny that. Pharisees can't deny that. They just saw a man's hand who was withered. We talked about that last week. Which means he was unable to be used. He couldn't work with it. He couldn't stretch it out. And Jesus, right there in front of them, on the Sabbath day, took that hand and with a word he said, stretch forth thine hand. And all of a sudden that hand is fully restored to working ability. So they saw the miracles and they had to, to figure out, how did he do that? He'd raise the dead and say, how did he do that? He'd heal the blind. How did he do that? Everybody in the world must reckon with that. How did Jesus do what he did? Yeah. They decided. You want to see what they decided? Look what they decided. Look down with me at verse 22. We'll study this next week. Then was brought unto him one possessed of the devil, blind and dumb, and Jesus healed him. Insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. You see that? Miracle right in front of him. And all the people were amazed. You see that? Wouldn't you be amazed? Amen. Yeah. yeah. All the people were amazed and said, Is this the Son of David? Is this, is this the Chosen One? Is this the Messiah? Is this the Christ? We've got to deal with this. This man obviously has power that nobody else has. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So God says here about His Son, His power didn't come from Satan, but I will put my Spirit upon Him. And everything He does will be by the power of the Holy Spirit. You may say He's of the devil, but I say it's of the power of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's what He's saying here. He's empowered. The Father says, no, it's not the power of Satan. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything Jesus did, His humanity relied upon the Holy Spirit. 
The miracles, the teachings, even the resurrection is said to be uh, that the spirit of uh, his resurrection was by the Holy Spirit. By the power of God. Everything that Jesus did was by the power of the Holy Spirit. If He relied upon the Spirit in His humanity, how much more do we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit in our own lives? So it's clear to me, men can say that He's just a teacher, that He's just a prophet, that He's just a normal man, but the Father says that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the truth that we get from the, the very first point. He is the chosen one. Men can reject Him, but the Father says, no, 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 He is the Christ. Yeah. That's been the thing that the, the statement of faith that we the Christianity has, has professed throughout the centuries. Let me give you a couple of examples. The Father here says, He's the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, when Jesus asked Him, who do men say that I am? Some say Isaiah, some say a prophet, some say this, some say that. Jesus said, no, 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 who do you say I am? And Peter said, I say that you are the cross, the Son of the living God, the one that should come into the world. And Jesus said, ding, 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 ding. You got that right. That's who I am. I preach. I'm a believer. You don't believe what's right about Christ. So give, give me this. I said, I'm going to ask one more time. Do you believe that Jesus is the cross, the Son of the living God? Because if you don't, you're an unbeliever. I looked up there and I had teachers sitting there doing it. <laughs> you must believe this the Pharisees rejected it and we're going to put him to death the father says this is what's true about my son and if you don't believe it you aren't saved he is the Christ the son of the living God the chosen one, the loved one, the well pleasing one the empowered one so there's the beautiful choice of Christ number two and I, I call that the, that Christ holds the most esteemed and privileged position in the universe. And that's in the Father's eyes. He must hold that same position in our eyes. The highest, most esteemed position in the world. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Number two, I want to show you the beautiful character of Christ. In two verses here, it describes what kind of person he was. And it's beautiful. With most people, I'll say with all people, the deeper you dig into their lives and the closer you get to them, this is just true, the more fault you find in them. Yep. Is that not true? Ask Steph. Before we got married, she thought it was the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> After we got married, she said, why did I marry that guy? <laughs> I hid some things from her. She didn't know some things about me. That at living together, you start to learn more about each other, and sometimes you find that it gets worse. I find that true to be true about men that I study. I, I love reading Charles Spurgeon, and the more I read him, the more I find fault in him. And I'm okay with that, because no man's perfect. The more I read about Jonathan Edwards, the more I think, ah, you know, I don't agree with that, and I don't agree with that. I, I see some fault in him there. And then I find Martin Luther, I've been studying him, the more I find fault in him. And I think, no, no, he's got some issues, and he's got issues here, and he's got issues there. And him and his wife had some issues, and they did. But then I start thinking, the more people get close to me, the more they're going to find fault with me. Because that's who we are. The, the closer you get, usually the darker it becomes. But get this, the closer you get to Christ, the more beautiful it becomes. Amen. It's like that diamond, the more you turn it, yep. the more you, you, you zoom in on it, the deeper you dig, the more riches you find. Amen. So now we get to dig in here and to see his character. 
to see what type of person he was. And it says here, first of all, this is, this is good, they expected a great political hero to be their, their savior. They expected a guy to come and to start a revolution, to protest, and to take over. That's what they wanted their Messiah to be. But it says here, look, look at this, verse 19, he shall not strive. I'm just going to stop and explain these words to you. Jesus, in his character, he did not strive. The word strive there means he was not quarrelsome. He didn't hassle people. He wasn't argumentative. He wasn't out to fight people. He didn't come to debate people. He came to die for people. Yeah. And I'll show you this. Turn with me back. I have to turn. You may not. But back to Matthew chapter 12. They were arguing, or the Pharisees were arguing with him over the Sabbath. And it says in verse 14, again, the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him how they might kill him. And Jesus could have, at that point, he could have argued with them. He could have said, no, 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 no. And they, they could have had an argument back and forth about the Sabbath day. He was right. They were wrong. He could have won that argument. Who fights with Jesus? And look what he does. Verse 15. You guys can look down at it yourselves. Does he argue with them? Does he fight with them? Does he debate with them? Does he go one-on-one, mono-a-mono with them? What does he do? But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew. You see that? He walked away. He turned the other cheek. He didn't strive, is what you'll say here in this word. That's not what he did. Again, he didn't come to argue. He didn't come to debate. He came to lay his life down and die. Yeah. So he's not the top to, to strive. And I'll say this. 1 Timothy, when he gives the qualifications of a preacher, you know what one of the qualifications is? Not quarrelsome. Not up for debate, not out to argue. Yeah. Jesus didn't, it says there, strive. I'll give you another one. Verse 19, he didn't strive and he didn't cry. You say, what does that mean? The word cry there is, he didn't shout. He didn't scream. It's used for dogs barking. It's used for demons shrieking. What's saying here is Jesus didn't go marching down the streets yelling and with a megaphone starting a movement. He wasn't going down the streets of Jerusalem trying to start a revolution with a megaphone saying, what do we want? When do we want it? Picket signs saying, crying out, screaming out, shouting out. He wasn't coming to start a revolution. He was coming to bring salvation. That's what he's saying. He's not crying out. I'll give you another one. Not only did he not strive, did he not cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. He didn't come to draw attention to himself. I can, give you, I can give you all kinds of examples of this. But I want to show you the example here in Matthew 12. Verse 15, when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. But look at verse 16. And he charged them that they should not make him known to anybody. He could have easily at that point said, I've got all kinds of people on, on following me around. I'm going to make a big deal out of this. I'm going to, I'm going to be in the streets. But he said, I'm not coming here to gather the crowd. I'm coming to die. That's the kind of man he was. He didn't come to say, look at me. How many people do you see today? That's all they say is, look at me, look at me, look at me. Yep. Get this, if Jesus were here today, he would be begging for likes on Facebook. 
not after attention. He wasn't out to draw attention to himself. He was out to humble himself. I'll give you examples. You want, you want some? Here we go. Where was he born? In a stable in Bethlehem. The king of kings and the lord of lords could have easily went to a, the nicest of palaces in the world. But where did he go? The stable in Bethlehem. Where did he grow up? In Nazareth. You guys have heard what Nazareth is? No good things, it says, comes out of Nazareth. It's a little nothing and nowhere town. I mean, it's almost like a, a hillbilly town that we live in here. Nothing good comes out of there. That's where Jesus grew up. I'll give you more. Where who baptized him? John the Baptist, a man that didn't look like a prophet, didn't act like a prophet. He, he was out in the middle of the woods somewhere, acting like a crazed man. He's the one that Jesus let baptize him. He could have had any king in the world baptizing, but he chose John the Baptist. What profession did he do for 30 years? Carpenter. Just a small little job. Doing some of the hardest work a man could ever do. He could have been sitting in a palace with, with maids fanning him. But instead he's in a carpenter's shop where nobody knew where he was or what he was doing. Just working and living a quiet and peaceful life for 30 years. Jesus wasn't out to draw attention to himself. He's out to humble himself. Who were his friends? <laughs> were they the, the highest of the people in the world? It said, when we know his closest friends were fishermen. And it said he had made friends with sinners. So he wasn't with the rich and the high and the mighty. He was with the lowly of the people in the world. Yeah. Because Jesus wasn't out to draw attention to himself. He was, that's what it says. He was not in the streets where people could see and hear his voice. He didn't come to draw attention to himself. He came to empty himself. That's the character of Christ. Logan, humble. I'll say this. Meek. Matthew 11, when Jesus describes himself, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek. Yeah. I could. <laughs> I like this. I don't know if you guys do or not. He could have done all those things. He could have stood in the streets and shouted people down and won arguments, and he could have been in the highest places in the land with the, the, the highest of friends. He could have done all those things. He could have won every argument. I mean, I mean that, that's the kind of thing I want. I want to win every argument. But he humbled himself. Didn't fight. Didn't argue. Didn't quarrel. He could have started a revolution. You go around healing people and giving people money and, or uh, food and, and, and giving fish and, and bread and, and walking on water. You could gather a movement of people behind you. He could have took over the world. But he didn't. He's meek. He could have had everybody, every eye on him. I think Satan offered him that in the temptation. Jump off this temple and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Every eye will be on you. And Jesus said, I didn't come for that. I came to do the will of my Father. Yeah. Which is humbling myself. I didn't come to bring victory to the world by taking it over. I came to bring victory to the world by humbling myself and dying. It's the exact opposite of what the world wants. It's the exact opposite of what the Pharisees wanted. That's why they rejected it. But not only is he meek, I've got to get going. He's lowly in heart. This is my favorite part. It says in verse 20, and I've got to do some explaining here so you guys hang with me. Verse 20, it says, A bruised reed shall he not break, 
This is how gentle he is, how lowly he is, how kind-hearted he is. A, a bruised reed he won't break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. Those are two amazing descriptions here. A, a bruised reed, you get this, a, a reed is a, a stick or a twig. <laughs> they would use it for pins or, a, or they made flutes out of it. Uh, just a small little twig that, that you, you could find a, a, like a stick laying on the ground. They would take it and they'd put a quill in it and turn it into an ink pen. Or they'd take it and put holes in it and turn it into a flute for somebody to play. And, and, that, that's, and they were easily broken. They were easily snapped. My boys will go out there and we'll work in the yard and they'll get sticks and they'll say, watch how strong I am, Dad. Snap. Watch how strong I am, Dad. Snap. And then they get a big one. They're like, watch how strong I am, Dad. Ouch. <laughs> but these, these are, it's not a big piece of wood that they, they're talking about here. He's talking about something that's very fragile, something that, that's very flimsy, something that, that even the smallest child can break. Even our little Emma, who's, who's like 25 pounds, she could take these little twigs, these little reeds, and they could, they could, she could snap it. We used to, my mom used to have flowers in the house. A bad idea when I was a kid. And I would, you know, those flowers would be sticking up, you know, and I, I would throw a ball against it, and all of a sudden that flower would just lay up. I broke the reed. That's that, that little thing that holds the big flower up. just easily falls over. And that's what it says here. These reeds picture us. We are weak people. We are bruised people. We are knocked around, easily broken, ready to snap at any moment. That's who we are. How do you get a bruise? You've got to get hit over and over and over and over. He's comparing people to a bruised reed. We just get hit over and over and over and over. And he says, I am not the type of person to keep on hitting you when you've been hit by the world. I'll say it this way. Jesus isn't the type to kick you when you're down. He's the type in his character, gentle enough, not to kick you while you're down, but to pick you up when you're down. That's who Jesus is. And there's so many people in the church who are bruised people. Yeah. They've been bruised by sin. They've been bruised by suffering. Some people have been bruised by the church. Have you ever run across somebody like that? I talk to people about them to church, and I say, oh, the church has hurt me. Maybe not this church, but a church somewhere has hurt me. They'll say, Pastor did this, or the person in the church did this. And you can see it in their face. They're bruised and beaten and battered. Somewhere, somehow, a Christian or a pastor has beat on them. And Jesus isn't the type to beat on you, He's the type to pick you up, dust you off, and send you on your way. I'll give you another one. You, you want one more? He says, You won't quench a smoking flax. You say, What is that? A smoking flax is a candle. It's smoking. If you have a candle that's smoking, it's about to go out. The flame is flickering. That's why it's smoking. And this candle here, this flax, shows the hopeless people. How many people have you ever come across that says, I'm about to give up hope? Hmm. I hear that all the time. The flame in my life is about to go out. I can't take another day. I can't fight another battle. I'm just one second away from somebody's quenching that flame. 
and I'm done. I've lost all hope. I'm about to break. And it says here, Jesus isn't the type to come along and to quench that flame. But he's so gentle that he'll come. You know what you have to do with the flame that's flickering out? You have to be very careful with it. We'll do bonfires. I can't wait till the spring comes around when we can have a bonfire. You sit there and make a fire and it's about to go out. Jesus isn't the type to come and pour water on it. You know the Christians that are like that? Somebody just, they've got a little bit of a flame. And they'll come across and say, out. I know pastors like that. They just pour it on them every single Sunday, knocking out the flame, knocking out the flame. No, no, no. If you have a bonfire, you come across and all it takes is a little bit of, very gentle. You've got to be careful. My boys will do it. And I'm not bragging on them. I should. I love my boys. But they'll say, Dad, let me help. And that, that flame will be about to go out and they'll do spit all over. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 you can't do that. Real easy. That's how gentle Jesus is. Because those of us who are losing hope and ready to give up, he comes along and gets the fire going again. Amen. I love that. That's good. Jesus shows care and concern and compassion. You want to see an example of it? I mean, I could give you this. I could give you all kinds. But look at verse 15 again. When Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him. And what, and what did he do? He healed them all. That's the care and the concern and compassion of, of Jesus. That he, let, me, let me just give you a list of these things. He cares for the helpless. That's who Jesus is. Those who can't help themselves, Jesus helps them. Get, get this, for the, the, the ones that the world discards, Jesus doesn't discard them. Jesus cares for those whom nobody pays attention to. Jesus cares for the hurting, those who are ignored, the failures, the outcasts, the sinners, the lowly. Jesus cares for people like you and me. That's what he's saying here. Those who, who are about to give up, that's who Jesus cares for. Man. Nobody else is going to eat with Zacchaeus. Jesus will. Nobody else touches lepers. Jesus does. Nobody else looks at the woman at the well and says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Nobody else notices the man with the crippled hand in church. Jesus does. Let me give you a story to kind of illustrate this. I think I hope I'm not losing you. There was a preacher. It's a good story. True story. There's a preacher who got up in a conference and used kids one day. I heard a preacher tell it. The preacher got up and he was preaching to a bunch of teenagers college-age kids. I know we've got some kids in here, so I want to be very careful with how I tell this. But the preacher got up and he wanted to teach the kids the value of not sleeping around. So he brought up a rose, beautiful rose. And he said, while I'm preaching, I'm going to pass this around the audience. And I want you to pass it through every person. And this was a conference. There were thousands of people there. So I'm going to preach for 30, 45 minutes, and I want you to pass that rose around to everybody in the audience. So he passed it to the first person. He said, and, and up there, it was so beautiful. So he passed it to the first person. And he didn't pay any attention to it. He just kept on preaching on the value of, of, of not sleeping around, of, of waiting until you're married, all those different things, and, and, and how, how bad it is to, to commit adultery and all those things. And then by the time the sermon was over with, he said, now who, who's got my rose? And it come all the way back to the front. And they handed it up to him, and what do you think that rose looked like? 
after it been, and he says this, everybody in here has had its way with this rose. Everybody in here has had its hands on this rose. Everybody in here has done whatever they wanted to this rose. And what was beautiful was now falling to pieces. Battered, beaten, ugly. And the point of his sermon was to tell the kids who would want this after it's been through all of these people. And the preacher that I heard tell that story, he said, I was in attendance and I came this close to yelling out, Jesus does! Jesus, that's who Jesus came for! Those who are beaten and battered and passed around and knocked down and dust thrown on and they're about to give up hope and they're easily broken. That's exactly who Jesus came for. You may not want them and we may not want them, but oh, that's who Jesus cares for the most. Those who think, oh, nobody wants me. Jesus says, I do. I do. That's who we are. We've been passed around. We've been beaten up. We've had the world punch us and bruise us and turn us into into broken limbs. And Jesus says, that's exactly who I care the most for. He comforts those who are mourning. He reassures the doubting. He feeds the hungry. He forgives the sinners because that's who Jesus is. That's His character. Everybody is so harsh and so mean in our world today. But Jesus is so gentle and kind. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to move on. I've got just a few minutes. Everybody is so harsh and so mean. I see it in pulpits. Everybody's so harsh and so mean. Everybody's so harsh and so mean. You can't get on Facebook without being harsh and mean. You can't get on Twitter without it being harsh and mean. You can't follow political ads or political debates without it being harsh and mean. Everybody's harsh and mean. You can sit and watch teenagers talk to each other. It's harsh and mean. You come into churches sometimes and it's harsh and it's mean. But Jesus in His character wasn't harsh and He wasn't mean. He was gentle and He was kind and He was loving because that's who Jesus is. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus. I love this picture of Jesus. You ought to love this picture of Jesus. The church shouldn't be harsh and mean. It should be gentle and kind because that's who our Savior is. When people walk into this church and they're broken, they're bruised, they're falling apart, their flame is flickering. We ought to be the ones that pick them up, dust them off, say Jesus loves you and He died for people just like you. The Pharisees said, be rid of all those people. They brought the woman in adultery and said, kill her, stone her. And Jesus said, he without seeing cast the first stone. And they all left. And she was the only one left. And Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. What a Savior. How beautiful his character is. He's meek and lowly of heart. That's so good. You say, well, that sounds weak to me. That's what our world says, right? He sounds like a pushover. You can't win without fighting, right? That's not how Jesus won. The last thing I want to show you is the beautiful conquest of Christ. We've seen the beautiful choice, the beautiful character. I want to show you the beautiful conquest. What's the, what's the word that it says here? Watch this. 
A bruised reed shall I not break, and a smoking flax shall I not quench, till he. I, I circled those two words, till he, till he. It's a transition phrase. This is what he'll do, and this is what he'll be, until he. <laughs> I like that. Until he, he will be humble, he will be meek, he'll be lowly. Until he, he won't stop, until he brings victory. You see the words there. He won't stop until he has victory. Where others have failed, Jesus will succeed. Where Israel failed, they were set as the apple of God's eye, but they failed, Jesus won't fail. Where David failed as a king that was set over the people, Jesus won't fail. Where we fail time and time and time and time again, Jesus won't fail. He won't stop until he has ultimate and final victory. He won't stop until the victory is won and the job is done. Until he, until he, he's going to go until he brings victory. You say, what kind of victory is this? Well, it's a guaranteed victory. I love that word. He will bring victory. He will accomplish exactly what the Father set him out to do. Exactly. He will finish the task. He won't stop until he says, it is finished. This word victory is found four times in the New Testament. Once here and three times in 1 Corinthians 15 and talking about the resurrection. That Jesus went all the way. 1 Corinthians 15 says that he went man to man, mono to mono, face to face with death, hell, and grave. And he come out victorious. Yes. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ on the earth. So it's a guaranteed victory because he went to the cross. That's how he will win. Who wins like that? Who wins by laying down their life? Jesus does. That's the kind of Savior he is. They didn't want that. They didn't want a Savior who's going to lay down their life. They wanted a Savior who was going to rule the world. He was a Savior that won through dying. It's a worldwide victory. Look what he says. Until he sends forth judgment unto victory, and his name shall the Gentiles trust. And it says up there again, verse 18 at the end, to show judgment of the Gentiles. I like that. Two times it says the Gentiles. This is not a small salvation for a small nation in Israel. This is a salvation, a victory that reaches far and wide to the utmost parts of the world. Isaiah 42 says, and in the quote, Matthew changes it, but Isaiah 42 says, all the way to the islands. I like that better than to the Gentiles. The islands is as far as, as I can see. You ever been on an island? And you look out and you can see, as far as I can see. That's what this is saying. Jesus is going to bring victory, not just to a small little nation in Israel. But he's going to bring victory too, as far as I can see. All the way to Big Stone Gap, Virginia. Yeah, God. To you and me and all of us in here. He's going to bring victory to us. Amen. That's good. It's red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in his sight. Turn with me to Revelation real quick. I want to show you the end. Revelation 7. I can take you to other places. I found a I, found, I was looking this up last night. I said, I need to show them this passage. I need to show them this passage. And I thought, I don't need to be here too much to preaching. I want to show you, no, turn with me to 5.11. Revelation 5.11. I want to show you how many people are in heaven. 
And then, I'll, then we'll turn to chapter 7 and I'll show you how you Revelation 5.11 says, I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and a number of them. It was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, the lamb that was slain, or this lamb that was slain, received power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and in earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and they are the... And that all that are in them heard, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits on the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever and ever and ever. He said, How many people are there going to be in heaven? Millions upon billions upon millions upon millions. There's, there's not even a number that we can put of how many people that he's going to win victory for by laying down his life. How do you win without fighting? By laying down your life and dying. That's what he did. Millions upon millions upon millions of people are going to be in heaven and have victory because Jesus died. I'll give you another Revelation 7, real quick. Verses 9 through 12. <laughs> so good. And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude. How many? Which no man can number. You see that? We, don't have, we have no idea. It's so many that are going to win the victory because Jesus laid down his life. And watch what it says. Which no man can number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. As many nations and people and kindreds and tongues as you could ever imagine. From every part of the world are going to be around the throne saying, worthy is the land. There is the honor, glory, and power. Because Jesus laid down his life. That's victory for millions upon millions upon millions of people. One more thing, back to Matthew 12. It's a guaranteed victory. It's a worldwide victory. It's an ultimate victory. But it says there, judgment twice. Verse 18, it says, it showed judgment to the Gentiles. And in verse 20, verse 20 it says, it will send forth judgment unto victory. And where judgment is justice. Yeah. Justice will be served. He will ultimately and finally make all things right. Not just in heaven, but here on earth. This justice means we look around right now and we say, how many times do you say that? That ain't right. That ain't right. We look around right now and see sickness and we say, that shouldn't be here. Disease, virus, that, that's wrong. That's not right. It just shows us that things aren't as they should be in this world. They're not. When we see this coronavirus and we say, well, why is that here? What's going on? We notice that it just ain't right. And we understand that ultimately He's going to bring judgment. He's going to bring justice. He's going to come one day and He's going to put everything right that is wrong in this world. He's coming back. There's so much that is wrong here. Sickness is one. Death is one. All the sin that's in our world. It, it's awful. But one day, He's going to come and bring judgment and everything that is wrong and He'll make it right. The final victory will be won. And that is our hope. And that's what we trust. It says in verse 21, one day He will come back. And He'll be seen and recognized for who He is. Because right now, and I'm closing, there's so many people that pass right on by and never notice Him. They never notice who He is. Because He's meek. And He's lowly. 
and he's not what they expected. And they just pass by. And every now and then there's a kid that says, oh, look over here, look at him. Every now and then there's a preacher that preaches the beauty of Christ. And there's children in the pews that say, oh, that's who Jesus is. There's a story of a boy in a hospital. And they told him, the kids, it's children's hospital. And they told him, the king's coming today to talk to the kids. And I think it was King George, maybe. King George is the first, maybe the fifth, maybe the twentieth, I don't know. The king's coming. And all the kids got ready. And all the kids sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. And while they were waiting, this group of people came in. And they were in plain clothes, dressed normally. And they came in. And this man sat down and he talked to the kids. And he patted them on the head. And he loved them. It's just a great time. And then they left. Later that night, the boy went to the nurse and he said, why didn't the king show up? And the nurse said he did. She said, do you remember the man who came in here in plain clothes? And he sat down right beside your bed and he patted you on the head and he spoke nice words to you. And he was kind and he was gentle and he was loving. And the boy said, yeah, I remember him. And the nurse said, that was the king. And the boy said, why wasn't he wearing his crown? I was expecting a crown. What's the point of that story? The first time Jesus came, it was in plain clothes. And walked around healing people and loving people. And he was sitting with kids in his lap. And all those Pharisees that expected him to wear a crown, they missed it. But get this, he's coming back and he's going to have his crown on. Yeah, amen. And ain't nobody going to miss it then. You may miss him now. You may not pay attention to him now. You may not honor him now. You may not love him now. You may not follow him now. You may not revere him now. You may not give him glory now. And you're just going to pass him by like he's just a, another man. But we need to know that one day he's coming back and he's going to wear his crown and every eye will see and every ear will hear and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and everybody will know. So you better bow a knee, Psalm 2 says, right now before the king comes back with his crown and his scepter ready to bring judgment to the world because he will come back and he will make all things right. Yes. And, and nobody's going to miss it then. He'll be seen and recognized for who he really is. So I told you I'd give you four C's, didn't I? I've got one minute to give you fourth. Don't worry. I think this passage is directly connected to Matthew 11, 28-30. And I want to give you the, the beautiful call of Christ. Because this picture of Christ and His and the choice, His character, and His conquest is the one who gives us the, the call to come to Him. Yeah. Read it with me. Verse 28. Matthew 11. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, all you that are broken, and your life's about to go out. Yeah. Yep. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek. I didn't come to argue. I didn't come to draw attention to myself. I'm meek, and I'm lowly of heart. And you shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Yes. 
That's the invitation that he gives. That's the call, a beautiful call. And the more we see him, how beautiful he is, the more beautiful this call becomes that he looks at the broken and the down and the out and the ones that everybody else looks over. And here we are today. He says, I want you to come to me. I want you to come to me. I want you to not just admire me from far, from afar. You could easily do that. And there's many that do. They admire Jesus from afar. They sit and watch him from afar. But Jesus said, I don't want you from afar. I want you close. I want you to come to me. I want you to be right here where I am. Come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden. Be where I am. Put your faith in me. Believe in me. Come to me. I'm easy. My burden is light. Won't you come to me? Come to me. That's who you come to. This beautiful Savior. Come to, to, to Jesus. And He'll give you rest. Yes. You may be broken. He'll put you back together. Your fire may be getting ready to go out. And he'll gently get your fire going again. Yeah. That's who he is. It's a beautiful picture of Christ. If you're here today and you're lost, come to Jesus. Yes. That call comes to you. Come to him. You'll find he is the most beautiful Savior the world has ever seen. The only Savior the world has ever seen. Come to him find rest. Be like those six people when the story started at the sermon, start of the sermon, who stopped to appreciate the most beautiful music the world has ever heard. Don't be like the people who are too busy, too distracted, just kept on walking by while Jesus says no. There's so many people who just walk right on by and Jesus says come. Come to Jesus and you'll find rest. Father, we thank you for our time today. It's been a blessing to study about you, your son. Thank you for these beautiful words. So much meaning, so much power behind them. And I pray that you would please use these words to draw people in their hearts to come to your son. Please. If there's somebody in here today that's lost, they've never believed, put their faith in Christ, the son of the living God, may today be the day that they come to Christ. And for those of us here, and there's many, especially in the times that we're living in unprecedented, uncharted waters, and we feel like a broken reed, we feel like a quenched candle, a light's about to go out. May we come to you, God, and find rest for our souls. That you would put us back together. And you would get that fire started again us again. Bless this invitation time, God, as we do our best to, to reach out to people who are hurting and broken, but most importantly, those who are lost. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name.